Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, y'all. I am in Colorado this week. Attempting what seems impossible, but that is our campaign we're in. The impossible campaign. I'm doing my first 14er, actually two of them. One of the benchmarks of those who climb are those who summit 14,000 feet. I got to be honest, it's a bit intimidating right now. But this is what I know. You never fail for having tried. You only fail when you didn't try. So what great thing are you attempting right now that is so risky, so dangerous, that failure is guaranteed unless God intervenes. Well, uh, right now, I'm going to try to summit a 14. And I know this, you don't try to go alone. You always have community. It's always easier when you're going with others than trying to go solo. I got my good buddy, Sean Struckmeyer. I got my guide right here, good friend, Tom Dawson. Tom is our guide. It's always good to have somebody who's been that way before. Somebody who can lead you to a place you've never been. So I hope you have somebody like that in your life. I'll be back to let you know how it's going. Love y'all. As you can see, I survived. I didn't die. It was questionable a time or two, though. A couple of months ago, there I was. Uh, We had only just begun. We hadn't gotten very far. There are the Twin Peaks. There's the destination. It was in this moment as I took this picture, I realized today is going to be harder than I thought it would be. It's going to be longer than I thought it would be. We haven't even started going uphill yet. I'm already starting to breathe harder. I realized right then this backpack is going to get heavier. And this is what I know, church. We all carry a backpack 24-7. Every single one of us do. It's an invisible backpack. Is the backpack we carry all of our life, that backpack of stress and duress, headaches, heartaches, problems, pressures. And the more I know about life, the older you get, the longer you've been on this walk, that backpack gets heavier. And I want you to know that's why we're doing this series called Scars, because every single one of us will bear a lot of scars. We live in a world that's cursed because of sin, and where there is sin, there is suffering. And I want us to learn how to carry that backpack of suffering, if indeed God gives us that cross to carry. And every single one of us at some time in our life will in fact carry that backpack full of scars and the suffering of life. But we don't carry it alone. We carry it with God's grace and God's help through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is about. The apostle Paul here is giving us a theology of suffering. What is God doing in the pain? What is God doing through the suffering in your life? Those times of loss and stress and duress and true headache and heartache of life. And he says these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, 
A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. I want you to notice a couple of things from the Apostle Paul. Here is a man we talked about last week that literally bore the scars of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said last week, this was a man that willingly scored, uh, bore the scars or the marks of suffering. He'd been tortured for Christ and beaten for Christ. And last week we said there's some scars that we should run to and not run from that we should be willing to sacrifice and suffer even for Jesus. And now he gives us a little bit of the backstory of some of those scars. Uh, I've said every scar has a story. It's a story of suffering. Every scar has a story, a story of injury. And this is a man that in fact had been beaten for Christ and, and he suffered deeply. And he tells us a little bit more about the backstory of his suffering. He says this, lest I be exalted above measure. He's given us the reason that God allowed him to suffer twice in one verse. He says, lest I be exalted above measure. In other words, God was shaking him loose from self-sufficiency. And he says, for that reason, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan was given to him to buffet him. I want you to notice in this one verse, we begin to see a lot about suffering in life and how to navigate the pain of life. Listen carefully. There's always two agendas at work in our lives when we suffer. There's God's and there is Satan's. There is the one who is the lover of your soul and the one who is the hater of your soul. There's always two agendas and how you respond will define the outcome. Do you understand that Paul is telling us that God allowed a demon, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. It was a thorn in the flesh. In other words, some type of physically debilitating diagnosis that Paul was going through. Now we don't know for sure what the thorn in the flesh was. We know that Paul was clinically blind Galatians chapter six, it's very, very clear. At the end of that letter to the Galatians, he says, see what large letters I have written to you in. Normally, the apostle Paul would dictate his letters to an amanuensis. That's a, a kind of an executive assistant. He'd dictate his letters, and they would write his letters for him because he was blind. But in this case, he points out to the Galatians, listen, this is so important, I have written it myself. Look at the large letters. That proves it was me. Because he was blind, he couldn't see. Maybe that's the thorn in the flesh he's referring to. Probably, my opinion, we don't know. But this is a man that had been beaten for Christ multiple times. He'd been stoned for Christ, probably to the point of death, if not truly having died. And I want you to see that this man's body had been broken in pieces, literally. Every bone in his body crushed. And probably he lived with a very, very debilitating condition with every single step, he lived with chronic pain. And this is probably the thorn of the flesh he's referring to here. But I want you to notice what he's teaching us. God had an agenda for this pain and Satan had an agenda for this pain. And do you understand all the pain that you suffer in life? There's two agendas. You see, the very thing that Satan wants to use to destroy your faith is the very thing that God wants to use to develop your faith. The very suffering that God wants to use to refine your faith is the very suffering Satan wants to use to ruin your faith. And do you understand, faith cannot be ruined in suffering, it's merely revealed in suffering. In other words, if you have true saving faith and you've truly put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be born again so that you can one day become like him, you need to recognize faith cannot be destroyed in the trials of life, it's only developed in the trials of life. 
And God is revealing your faith and refining your faith in the trials of life. And that is what we now see happening. But how you respond will define the outcome. Listen carefully. Suffering will do one of two things to the heart. Listen, a scarred heart will either be a softened heart or a hardened heart. Suffering leads to a scarred heart, and that scarred heart will either become a humbled heart or a hardened heart. See, Satan wants to harden your heart, and God is trying to humble your heart. These are the two outcomes. How you respond will define which agenda is at work in your life. This is why, guys, you meet some people, let's say, that's very elderly, and they've been through horrible hardship in life, yet they are so sweet, they're so kind, and you meet other people, honestly, just sour old women and grumpy old men. What's the difference? Well, the suffering of life, the backpack. For some, it makes them hard. For others, it makes them humble. See, which one will you be? There's always two agendas. I've heard it said, and it's true, there's no Bible verse in the Bible that says this, but I still think it's probably true, at least in part, at least somewhat. Uh, I've heard it said before that about 10% of life uh, is what happens to you, and about 90% of life is how you respond to what happens to you. So how you, will you respond in times of suffering? There's two agendas. And I want you to see what we're learning here. Satan uses suffering for our affliction, but God uses suffering for our sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like Christ. God's desires use suffering to make us more like Jesus. And the very same thorn in the flesh that Satan was using for Paul's affliction, God was using now for his sanctification. Romans 8, 28, Caleb referred to that as we were worshiping this promise in the middle of life's pain. It says that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those that are called according to his purpose. Now notice it doesn't say all things are good. All things are not good. But God is able to use all things, even the bad things, for good things in your life. On the other side of the pain, there is a prize. And the very next verse, Romans 8, 29, tells us the prize that God is doing in the pain. He wants to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God could never, ever conform you into Christ's likeness if you never, ever had to suffer. So as you suffer, there's something good God is doing in you and through you and for you to make you more moldable and usable so that you become increasingly like him. The only question is, what will be your focus? Will you focus on the pain or will you focus on God's promise? See, there's always two agendas. Satan wants you to go on what you see, but God wants you to go on what he has said. There's the two responses. What will be the two outcomes? I'll say it again. Satan wants you to focus on the pain. God wants you to focus on his promises. Satan wants you to focus on what you see, but God wants you to focus on what he said. And if you will, there's something God's going to do in you on the other side of this pain to bring about a great prize. James 1, 2 puts it this way. Look at what it says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Oh, God, thank you. I count it joy. I just lost my job. Let me tell you something. This is not kindergarten Christianity, okay? This is the graduate school of Christianity when you can begin to thank God even in the difficult times, not just the good times. It's easy to give him glory when you're living under the spout where the glory comes out and everything's going awesome. 
But what James is saying, listen, there's a place God wants to grow you where you can even give God glory and thank God even in the difficult times. He says, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Here's the reason why. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Think of that word patience as endurance. In other words, God wants to give you a faith that endures, a faith that doesn't give up, a faith that doesn't give in, a faith that suffers long. Now, how do you get there? You don't get there in a day. He says that the test of your faith. That word testing is a metal smithing term. You've heard the phrase. We use it even today. We're going to test your metal. Uh, a metal smith would test the metal by feeding it into the fire. And what is the fire doing to the metal? It's making it better. It's making it stronger. He would feed it through the fire. Now think about the fire does not ruin the metal. It refines the metal. Uh, see, the, the fire melts that metal down so that it's more moldable, so the craftsman, uh, craftsman can make it into something more beautiful and something more usable. And so that's what James is now saying about life's trials, various trials. As, as you go through the fires of life, God is testing the metal of your faith, and the fire does not ruin the faith, but rather reveals your faith and ultimately refines your faith so that you are becoming increasingly more humble, which makes you, in God's hands, more beautiful and more moldable. It makes your faith stronger. Why? It says that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. Uh, look at it like this, guys. Nobody wakes up one day, rolls out of bed, and decides, I'm going to go run a marathon. Today's the day. No, you don't just wake up one day and go run a marathon. There's a lot of preparation before you get to the marathon, isn't there? Think about this. Uh, you, you start with the 5K. Then you work up to a half marathon before you ever do the marathon. Uh, you don't just wake up and say, I'm going to go run over 26 miles without stopping. Nobody does that. No, there's a testing that has to happen physically. What are you doing? You don't have the endurance yet. You don't have the ability yet. And so you roll out a bit again and again, morning after morning. You start with a three-mile run. Uh, and then you work up to the six-mile run. Some of you guys, honestly, you're, you're amazing to me. I, 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 this is not me. This is not my, I, I, don't, I don't like to run. I never did like to run. Even when I was competing, I didn't like to run. You know, you guys roll out of bed at five degrees, dead of winter, put on five layers of sweat. You go out and run 12 miles, come home by 7 a.m., and you're like, oh, that was awesome. <laughs> you guys are weird. <laughs> out of your mind. I respect you. I mean that most respectable. I respect you. I just don't get you, Okay. Here's the point. What are you doing? You are increasing your endurance by working your body to exhaustion. And this is why it may be really hard to run three miles, but pretty soon you keep running three miles. Three miles is easy. You got to up it to maybe six miles. And it's really hard to run six miles, but you keep running six miles. Pretty soon six miles was easy. Now you're going to work up to nine miles. You see, that is what James is now saying about testing our faith as you work your faith to exhaustion in the same way your body atrophies if it doesn't do anything but sit there and be idle. If you want to be strong physically, you've got to exercise, yes? Uh, if you know my son, Josh, my youngest son, listen, I started working out with him when he was in middle school. Now, I don't like to run, but I've been slinging weights for a long time. I can still sling weight for a man my age. But I never dreamed my son, Josh, when he was in middle school, would ever, ever be able to outlift his dad. Guys, I have to admit, it's not even close today. 
like Josh warms up with my workout, okay? It's very humbling. Now here's the point, he didn't get there in one day. We started when he was in middle school. Little skinny kid, when he could just do the bar. And what happened is pretty soon the bar was easy. You know what dad started to do? Started slapping weights on the sides. Because you gotta keep upping the weight if you're gonna keep getting stronger. And pretty soon that weight was easy. Dad would put more weight on the side. And when the weight was too heavy and he couldn't get it up, he had dad that was spotting him and his dad would help it up. Do you understand that you have a father in heaven who might slap on some heavier weight, but he's got you, he's spotting you. And when you can't carry it, he's got you, he's gonna help you. That's the nature of suffering. You see, the reality is if God never slapped on more weight, you have to carry, your faith would atrophy in the same way your body does physically. You have to constantly exercise your faith. And that's how your faith gets stronger. See, you work your body to exhaustion. Actually, that's how you get stronger in the moment you get weaker. But as you do it again and again, you're actually getting stronger. That's the nature of what James is now teaching through the trials of life. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. There's a process here that God is taking us through. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. This is what God wants for your life, that you may be eventually spiritually mature, no longer weak spiritually, but rather strong spiritually. And this is what God is doing as you exercise your faith in the middle of suffering. God's pathway to spiritual maturity and Christ's likeness is suffering. Church, nobody gets an exception. Nobody gets an exemption. And that is why I personally think this health and wealth prosperity theology of modern Christianity has done great damage to the body of Christ because it's a heresy that says, well, if God really loves me and I have enough faith, then nothing bad should really ever happen to me. I mean, God should heal me every time. I should be healthy and wealthy, skinny and pretty. I mean, have you read the Bible? Did God not love the apostle Paul? Here is a man that had the apostolic gifts of healing. He could do miracles. He healed others miraculously, but he could not heal himself. See, the issue is not a lack of faith for the apostle Paul, and that's kind of how this goes. Well, if you have enough faith. No, wait a minute, that's not true at all. God loved Paul. God, God, God gave Paul a supernatural faith, but in this case, there was not gonna be any miraculous healing come for Paul because God was going to allow him to suffer because whoever God uses greatly, I will promise, has been wounded deeply. You look back through the corridors of Christianity, through the corridors of church history, go to Hebrews chapter 11, the Hebrews Hall of Fame. I'm talking about Heaven's Hall of Fame. It's called the Hall of Faith. It's all about faith. And we're talking about the great saints of God who God used greatly that is remembered for their faith in God. And they all suffered deeply. See, God cannot use us greatly until we have suffered personally because only then are we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now listen, church, listen carefully. Every one of us need to learn the difference between being hurt and being injured because there is a difference. 
Every single one of us need to learn the difference between playing with pain and playing injured. They're not the same thing. We all have to play with pain. What I mean by that is you can't take yourself out of the game just because you feel some pain. I used to have football coaches, and they would tell us, gentlemen, football is a contact sport. It's a collision sport. It's a violent sport. What they were saying is you're going to have to play with pain. Don't take yourself out of the game just because you feel hurt. I can tell you halfway up that mountain that day, I was in pain, but I wasn't injured. See, there's a difference. You keep going in spite of the pain, but there's a point where you need to recognize if indeed you're injured so you can get healthy. So this series is about scars. We all have scars, some we can see, some we can't see. I'm not gonna show you this scar. I've showed you the scar on my knee. I've showed you the scar on my chin. I have a scar six inches long on the back of my right shoulder. I have a screw in my right shoulder. It's that long. I carry it to this day. That scar is there because of football injury. A shoulder injury eventually put me out of the game. So I'm at the University of Kansas, practice one day, I shed a block, and I feel my shoulder pop out the back. I know it's not supposed to do that. It hurt. That's pain. So after practice, I go into the training room. I tell the trainer what happened. Hey, um, I shed a block, and when I did, I felt my shoulder pop out the back. He looks at me, and he says these words. Posterior dislocation is very uncommon. I got the message, get back on the field, play with pain. So I did. Glenn Mason was the coach, he'd just come in and he was making it very clear and he's the one that said, guys, there is a difference between playing hurt and playing injured. If you're hurt, you get up off the ground, you don't let your opponent see you lay there. If you're hurt, run off the field. If you're injured, we'll come get you, but don't lay there if you're just hurt. I remember that. So I thought, well, They want me to play with pain, I'll play with pain. But what happened was, I wasn't just playing with pain, I played injured. And because I was playing injured, it was a progressive injury. Every day, it would tear a little bit more, it would tear a little bit more. What started out just once a week would happen then once a day, once a practice. And by the end of the season, it would happen three or four times in a practice, guys. By the end of that season, I could stand here, I could do this, And when I move my arm right to here, about here, I would feel my shoulder fall out of place. There was nothing left holding it in place. So they did surgery and they scoped it and, you know, wanted to find out what's going on with it. And when I woke up, there was that same trainer. You know what he said? Phil, I cannot believe you finished the season. That's the worst injury I've ever seen. (laughs) No kidding. What had happened? I thought I was playing with pain, but the reality, I was playing injured. When you play injured, the injury only gets worse. Listen, there are some things that happen to us in life. It is painful, but it's more than painful. It creates an injury, an injury to the soul. When you've been betrayed by a spouse and you find out your spouse has been having an affair and they leave you and they betray you, that is a deep wound on the soul that's more than pain. That's why we have a counseling center at Abundant Life. We wanna help you get healthy. That's why we have something called divorce care. We have something called regen. 
We have something called grief share because there's times in life, listen, you need to know if I'm just playing with pain, I need to stay in the game, or if I've actually been injured, I need to get healthy because if you don't, what happens? You carry that wound year after year after year after year. You decide you're gonna white knuckle through it, you're gonna grit your teeth, and you're just gonna gut it out. And I'm trying to tell you what's happening, guys. That wound never gets healed. You don't get the scar. A scar is a wound that's been healed. But in some cases, that wound is so deep, you never get healed. And I want you to think about this right now. Am I in pain? Because if you're just in pain, don't take yourself out of the game. We all got to play with pain. There are painful points of my life right now. I'm playing with pain. I got scars that you can't see. I'm playing with pain, pain points in my life, things I can't change, things I have no control over. The question is, are you healthy? And for some of us, we're not healthy. And you need to get off the field so you can get healthy, so you can get back, at, back on the field where God wants you to be. Now, I just want you to think about this. What are you turning to for your pain? You know right away if you're not healthy when you're turning to something other than Jesus to medicate your pain. See, I'm convinced the reality, y'all, is a lot of sin. Sin is often how human beings respond to pain. That's all it is. How you choose to medicate your pain. See, when you're turning to sin instead of him, you're exposing the fact that you're not healthy. You have an injury that hasn't been healed. And it's Jesus alone, Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. By his scars we are healed. You see, he bore our scars so that he can heal ours. And this is what things like Regen is doing. It's helping people get to the source of the pain instead of dealing with the symptom of the pain. And for a lot of us, that's all we've ever learned to do. I'm simply playing with pain. You want me to play with pain? I can white knuckle through this. Well, in the end, it put me out of the game forever because I was playing injured. So there I am on the side of the mountain. <laughs> oh no, I'm not injured, but I'm in pain. <laughs> I have a choice, what will I do? Others are going back down the mountain, it's too hard. And in those moments of crisis in your life, what God is doing is he's trying to take you to a renewed consecration. More than commitment, what will you do? Hey y'all, here we are, 13,000 feet. My lungs are on fire, my legs are on fire. Every single step is a gut check harder than I thought it would be. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? You can't prepare for everything ahead of time. You can't prepare for all the adversity you're going to face. The trials, the tribulation, the pain. There's a point where you want to turn back. Right now is that point. Where a lot of people turn back and go down the mountain. Other people are. I've watched them do it. That's when Jesus calls for a cross. Not a commitment to follow him. The point where it gets too hard to follow him is the point you've got to go to consecration. The crisis of faith where you want to just stop and turn back. It gets too hard. Consecration is when you die. It's when you pick up your cross. And at that point, there is no going back. Guys, I don't know what you're going through, what adversity in your life, what pain. But what I learned is don't look up right now. The, the summit looks too far away. It's too discouraging to see how far you have to go. Look behind you, see how far you've come. 
Right now, I'm just looking down one step at a time, one step at a time. In times of deep trial and pain, just take one step at a time. Just take your next step. Don't think about how far you have to go, where you're going to be two years from now. Just think two days from now, two months from now. Don't worry about what you're going to be doing two years from now. Right now, I'm just worried about the next step, the next two feet. I will see you on the summit. I'm praying, literally, God, get me up this mountain with every step. And God's going to get me up this mountain. Whatever mountain you're climbing today, God's going to get you up it too. I'll see you on the top. I will promise in that moment there was no bravado on the mountain. Oh, no. There was no beating my chest. I'm conquering the mountain. Oh, no. The, the mountain was conquering me. Do you understand God brings you that moment in life of crisis? And the crisis is meant to bring you to a renewed consecration. I talked last week about the difference between commitment and consecration. Remember? See, if you're just committed to follow Jesus, at some point the cost is too high. I saw other people turn around. They never made the summit. They went back down the mountain. You know why? Because they were committed. But the commitment eventually costs too much. That's the nature of following Jesus. And the very same thing, that very same place of pain that Satan wants to use to ruin your faith is the very thing that God wants to do to refine your faith. What is consecration? It's more than a commitment. It's a mentality that says, I would rather die on the mountain than turn around. I am not going back down. And in that moment, I will promise God does something in you. When you come to that conclusion that I don't care what the cost is, Jesus, you have a right to rule my life and your rule in my life is always right. I completely surrender all of my rights. And if I have to carry this cross the rest of my life, I will not turn around. I'm not going back down. In that moment, God does something supernatural in you. The grace of God is what God is working in you. It happened in John chapter six. I give you this example, Jesus, 12 disciples. So in John chapter six, they are all in a place of popularity and everybody is talking. They're being followed by the paparazzi. Jesus is doing these miracles. He's just fed the 5,000 and thousands of people are following him. So Jesus does something that most American preachers would never do. The bigger the church got, he starts preaching harder. He ups the bar. And guess what? Thousands of people turn around and start to walk away. Oh no, the cost was too high. They made a commitment. They weren't consecrated. See, Jesus knew they were just following him to get something from him. Jesus, do another miracle. Jesus, give us some more lunch. There's the prosperity theology. Of course, you're going to follow Jesus if he gives you a car. The prosperity theology has been around for 2,000 years of church history. And what does Jesus do? No, he ups the bar. I'm not here to give you a car. No, you're going to have to suffer. It's going to cost you. So pretty soon it's just him and the 12 disciples. He's preached everybody else out of the church. He's got his 12 deacons. And he looks at them and he says these words. Are you going to go away too? What are you going to do? You going to leave? And here's what Peter said. Peter looks at him. You can see this in John chapter 6. And Peter says this. Lord... Where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. See, that's where Jesus wants to bring us all in the middle of crisis and pain when we would love to walk away. Where else are we gonna go? 
If Jesus is not our hope, then there is no hope. Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. And at that moment, that was Peter's consecration. He was going to go all the way. And there's a work God is doing in you. It's a work God was doing in the Apostle Paul. It's a work that God has done in me personally. Listen very carefully. God allows the suffering to bring us to a place of humility. Now, none of us naturally have humility. We don't. You may not be an arrogant person. Chances are, if you'd known Pastor Phil 20 years ago, before there was a Pastor Phil, just police officer Phil, and before that, just a guy named Phil, probably you would have never said, man, that's an arrogant guy. He's so arrogant. Arrogance, easy to see. Arrogance is what we wear outwardly. Arrogance is when we live with the demeanor, you know, we're cocky. And normally, that's simply a cover-up for insecurity. See, arrogance is different than pride. Pride hides itself in us all, disguises itself in us all. Pride simply says, I got this. Self-sufficiency. Pride is self-sufficiency. And this was me for a lot of my life, not an arrogant person, but a prideful person, meaning I knew I needed Jesus to get into heaven. I didn't really think I needed Jesus to get through the day. John chapter 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I knew that truth theologically. I knew that other people weaker than me needed Jesus for everything. But, you know, for the most part, I got this. I didn't think in those terms, but that's who I was. I mean, I, I live with this kind of mentality. You can power through anything. You can, you can gut check your way through anything. And then what happens is God brought me through some stuff that I found out something I did not know about myself. I actually have a threshold of pain where I would tap out if I could. I didn't think I had a threshold. And all of a sudden, I realize I need Jesus just to get through the day. I don't just need him to get through heaven. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I always believed it theologically and intellectually. I never really believed it practically, not personally. And all of a sudden, God will bring you to that place where he shakes you loose from self-sufficiency. And do you understand that is what God is doing through times of profound suffering to work in us true humility. Humility says, Jesus, I'm desperate for you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. Jesus, I've got to have you. Jesus, without you, I am toast. No hope. <laughs> And once you reach that point, listen carefully, what happens? Humility fosters then dependency, true dependency. Dependency on God. And in that moment, you're starting now to live in the grace of God. What is grace? Grace means all of God and none of you. All of God and none of you. It's the grace of God in your life. Guys, I can say today, I am here today because of God's grace. Not because Phil's such a tough guy. No, you go up the mountain, you realize there is no bravado, no machismo. By the grace of God, you got up the mountain. I've been on that mountain more than once in my life. God does it over and over again because it's a test that you never stop taking. Never forget that Satan tempts, but God tests. And you got done with one test, and God feeds you through the fire now of another test. And that is how your faith keeps getting stronger than the refiner's fire. And now you're living in the grace of God, and the grace of God means the power of God. He allows you to suffer so that you can experience God's resurrection power. 
and is just as much of a miracle that someone can live with suffering, profound suffering, when they don't get the healing as when God does give them the healing. It is just as much of a miracle that one is able to bear that cross of pain as it would be if God took one off that cross of pain. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8, this is what Paul says that I've just outlined. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he pray? Three times, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Three times he prayed, Father, if there is a plan B, I'm listening. Now's a good time to tell me because I really don't want to bear this cup of pain and suffering. Three times, oh, he prayed, even so not my will, but your will be done. See, that's consecration. That's more than commitment. Consecration is when you're willing to bear the agony of the crucifixion. Now Paul's praying in exactly the same way three times. This man that could heal others could not heal himself. And three times he prayed, God, if there be any other way, take this messenger of Satan from me. God, please, if there be any other way, don't let me live any longer with this thorn in the flesh that is plaguing me. Three times he pled that it might depart from him. And God said to him, look at what it says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you understand that God allowed Paul to suffer so that ultimately Paul would learn to live in God's power? And what God did for Paul, the apostle, God wants to do for you. That you might learn to live in God's power even when you suffer. Look at what he says. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you understand spiritually? You are never stronger than when you are living with a limp. And for a long time, I didn't live with a limp. Oh, I, I've got this, Jesus. I mean, I'll call you if I need you. But do you understand? Eventually, God allows you to suffer on the side of that mountain so that you learn to limp and lean on him the rest of your life. And when you do, that is the moment where it's Christ's strength in you. No longer your strength, but his strength. Well, here we are, everybody. We finally made it to the mountaintop. We're on the summit, over 14,000 feet. And I cannot begin to tell you how hard it was. It was harder than I thought it would be, guys. I'm telling you, it was so painful. My legs are like jello. I have not tried anything so hard like this, probably, since over 30 years ago with a Glen Mason two-a-day at the University of Kansas. But I don't regret a thing. Would you look at this view? Unbelievable up here. Guys, listen. God makes a promise for all the pain and adversity that we face in life. Romans 8 and verse 18. The suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. See, the promise is all the pain that we face in life will all be worth the price someday. Here's the price up here for all the pain. It was so worth it. And I'm so glad that I did it, even though in the middle of it, it was so, so very hard. Whatever you're facing right now in life, whatever mountain you're climbing, 
I will promise you, keep your next step. Just take your next step. Just keep taking your next step following Jesus. I'll promise God has the grace you need to get to the top of the mountain. I love you all. I learned this going up the mountain, guys. People told me, just keep your eyes on the summit. No, that was so discouraging. Because no matter how long I walked, it still seemed so far away. When you're going through real pain, traumatic loss in life, don't think 10 years from now. Don't wonder where you're going to be two years from now. It literally is one step at a time. Just think one day at a time. It's called a walk with God for a reason. Just take your next step. Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. God gives you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. One day at a time, with one decision, with one step. And what happens is you just keep taking your next step, just one after another. No matter how hard, all of a sudden you look up and guess what? You're there. We made it. I thought I never would. And all of a sudden somebody said, we're at the summit. I looked up and I was. Do you understand one day we're going to get there? No matter how hard it is, no matter what you're going through today, we're going to stand one day before Jesus in the winter circle. And we're going to stand there with the bruises of life and the scars of life and yes, the tears of life in our eyes. And Jesus said, I'm going to wipe away every single tear and we're going to hear those words, well done, you're here. And it's all going to be worth it. And I'm trying to tell you today, God's grace is sufficient to endure all the suffering you face in life and it will be worth it all when we see Christ. Church, I hear about over and over again, story after story, probably because the size of our family has grown. (laughs) I remember my dad saying before he died, I have more to worry about than ever. You know, he had five children. We all worry about our children, but then he he would eventually die with something like 49 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. As a family grows, there's more stories. And every single week, I hear another story of a member of our family, of real suffering, real loss, real pain, real trials. And in this place today, there's a lot of scars. I want you to know this, our warfare is in our worship. Our warfare is in our worship. When we worship God, no matter what he's done, but because of who he is, the Spirit of God is released in our life. Jesus called him the comforter. It's a supernatural something. And so from right here, right now, to all of our campuses, all across our city, our church houses, even around our country, I want us all to stand and let's sing an old hymn of the faith that was written by a man in a season of profound loss, of profound suffering. His entire family had been lost at sea. And in response... He chose to worship, and he wrote a song that we're about to sing. Let's sing it from our heart to his.
Jesus is worthy of our worship, isn't he? Church, I love you so much. Listen, there are people going to be down here at this altar to pray with you. If you're in a moment of suffering, let the body of Christ minister one to another to you. Uh, You can talk to them about your next steps. Where do I go from here? I feel stuck. That's why they're here. So others are going that way. Some of you ought to come this way. Love you very much. Hope you have a super blessed Sunday. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.